Welcome to 21 Wire Live. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you so much for joining us. We're streaming out live right now on YouTube, uh, Facebook, and also on Periscope uh, on Twitter, soon to be Twitter Live. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about the markets. We're going to be talking about money. I'm going to be talking about cryptocurrency. And I've got a very special guest to help us walk us through this uh, minefield right now. Uh, where there's a lot of crazy things happening and we're going to try to make sense of some of it and look at some things that we think are really important uh, and are sort of driving some trends this week. And there's a lot of people that have uh, sent a lot of questions about crypto. What is crypto? How significant is it? What about GameStop and Robinhood? Is this, uh, is this a major sea change? Is this a paradigm shift in investment and people getting involved, taking control of their finances? So Tom Luongo from Gold, Goats, and Guns uh, is joining us here. He's also a regular on a number of other shows. If you listen to Fault Lines, for instance, uh, on Sputnik Radio as well, you'll hear Tom there talking about politics. But I know, Tom, that that's not, that's not your main wheelhouse. Your main wheelhouse is, is, is markets uh, well, and investment. But no, uh, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I would say that. Um, but unfortunately, uh, our markets are so politicized that you can't, um, you can't separate one from the other. So great to be here, Patrick. It's good to good to talk to you as always. He's, you've been a guest on my podcast a couple of times. I've always had a good time doing it. So be happy to to pop in today and, and give you what I can uh, on these subjects. So, so for the first thing I want to get uh, get out the way is let's the last twelve months, Tom. Uh, we have seen things done by government that have never been done before, mm -hmm. and if people were uh, trepidatious about 2008 and the uh, quantitative easing and things like that were going on during that period to sort of plug this uh, gaping hole uh, that was created by the subprime mortgage crash. What's happened in the last 12 months? Just give us your pers put that in perspective in comparison to 2008. How 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 much bigger has the the money printing um, festival been in the last? during the COVID crisis than in subprime? Um, it was bad then. It's about probably an order of magnitude worse now. Um, we don't know the extent to which they bailed out people in 2008. We don't really know the extent to which they've, you know, bailed out uh, people behind the scenes uh, in the plumbing. It's in the plumbing of the market. That's the hard part. It's the part that nobody ever talks about. Uh, and you have to really want to like this stuff to care about it. And I know just enough about how the, the plumbing of the markets work to know that it scares me. And I know just enough to know when I can see problems in it um, occurring, accruing, right? And I, like everybody else, will, you know, read some of the more technical articles on Zero Hedge and go, no, I know I need to read that one again because I didn't understand a word of that. And then break it down and do some research and get better at, at trying to understand what's happening. Um and Zero Hedge is probably the best overall um, uh, um, resource for trying to understand what's happening or have a, a sense of what could be happening coming down the line because it's just an, an invaluable resource. I was talking with Dave Collum the other day about this, and he was just like, yeah, it's just it's crazy how good they are. Is, is um, that because they're more honest, Tom, about their, uh, they don't have the conflict of interest that mainline financial TV pundits and yeah. uh, Wall Street Journal types and FT have? Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, uh, our financial media is just as corrupt and just as in the thrall of the, and just as much as the pay of the, of the, 
the governments or oligarchs, or whatever you want to call them, as our you know news media is. That's the same thing. They're the same group of people, and it's the same. It's the same dynamic at play here. So you know, the Financial Times, you know, works for what I call the Davos crowd, and um, so does uh, CNBC. So does Bloomberg. They're all part of the same you know cabal of people or general. Uh, class of, of of oligarchs in this in this sense. So you know, it trying to keep this, trying to not go you know too far in the weeds on this. But you know, the central bankers, the main the 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 main uh, banking system, the, the primary dealer banks, and in, in the what we call the primary dealer banks here in the U.S. And you've got the old money banks in City of London and and Frankfurt and whatnot. They're all part of the same group of people trying to hold on to their power. And the way they do so is through the issuance of currency and through the manipulation of interest rates through the central banks. So um, where we are today, a year after COVID, is we're on the verge of yet another one of these spasms in the uh, in the marketplace. We had a massive one last year, uh, what I like to call the apocalypse, And... Um, it really truly was like the true breaking of the markets at that moment, you know, going back a year now, the policy response was far crazier than whatever they, anything they did during uh, Lehman Brothers and the subprime mortgage uh, breakdown. And uh, we had the full nationalization of, of, of major markets. Uh, we had, you know, we have the, the treasury department partnering with BlackRock to buy out, to buy stock directly and, and all sorts of crazy things going on. So um, we're, that only kept us, kept this situation going for about another year. And here we are again. And right today, as you know, we're talking, the markets are going to close this week and they're not going to close in a particularly um, stable moment. You know, yesterday, FOMC chair uh, Jerome Powell had a, a uh, big speech, and uh, no one was happy with it. The markets were expecting him to come out and at least give a, a, a hint at a new policy direction, what the Fed likes to call, you know, communications policy, which is another way of saying jawboning. Uh, he didn't jawbone anything, and the markets woke up this morning and they were scared. Um, for the last year since the uh, since COVID rocked the markets, um, I think we've been. In, there's been a lot of talk about a weak dollar. There's been a lot of talk about, oh, all of this money printing has created a weak dollar. Well, eh, the dollar was strong up until twenty, up until March of 2020, and then it got overvalued, and now it's it came back down. And we had a, a year's worth of political uncertainty in the United States as to whether and who was going to win. It was an election year. There were riots in the streets. You know, dogs and cats living together, pit bulls. You know, fighting each other. You know, political pit bulls fighting each other literally in, over everything. That's not good for markets. Markets don't like that. And it's a reflection and political instability is a reflection of currency instability, right? You know, if there's a regime change in Thailand, the Thai bot doesn't like rise, it falls because everybody's worried that they can't pay their debts back. Well, it's the same thing with the United States, the same thing with the European Union or anybody else. So currency is always the currency uh, fluctuation rates are always primarily a, a, a reflection. First lesson here, primarily a reflection of people's confidence in the government itself. And then everything else comes down to, well, okay, what, how well is the economy running and all this other stuff. And CNBC always likes to keep us focused on all the, 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 the stupid econometric numbers that are all cooked. No, all the books are cooked on that. And then half of those numbers don't mean anything, but we can point to them because they're numbers. We go, oh, look, science, they're numbers. They're, they're important. GDP went up 
a tenth of a percent. So what? So what? We spent more money. Um, the government spent more money, and so production went up. Like really? Um, no, not not in my world. Um, but that's where we are right now. So it's um, there's a there's a the the main takeaway from here now is that we're beginning the next uh, probably the last big dollar up wave that's going to last probably the next two or three years. Um, and in that time, it's going to reshape the entire financial world, and we'll see what happens after that. So. So, so some there. people are asking, Tom, how is it possible that you have this massive bull run on the stock market at a time right. when the economy was in free fall, uh, the GDP, the real sure. economy? How, what, what's the basis behind that? Well, the, the money is printed by the central banks to bail out you know, the banking sector to keep the plumbing full of dollars so that everybody can, you know, make their, 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 their payments, right? Cause everybody's out there across, they've, everybody's got, you know, contracts that they've got to fulfill. I need dollars today to pay my payroll. You need dollars because I lent some, I, you lent me some money and blah, 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 blah. And so all these payments have to happen and they have to happen in a specific order and at a specific point in time. Right. And when there's a time mismatch, like I am out of money on Tuesday and I've got, and I've got to pay payroll and I don't get my invoices in until Friday, I need to do something about that. So in, in our world, we got to get a payday on, right? Well, in the Fed's world or in the primary dealer bank's world, they go into the overnight money markets to go buy money from another bank who has, so one bank has too much money, another bank doesn't have enough money. You borrow for three days, a payday loan from one bank to the other. Wells bar borrows from Goldman, you know, pays them a small interest rate to get access to the money. And then we go from there. That overnight month, that overnight, that, that overnight funding rate or that overnight um, lending rate that the banks charge each other um, is a good indicator of stress in the marketplace. Because what happens when Goldman doesn't have any extra money to lend to Wells, right? Bad things happen. The rate rises. You know, Goldman can then charge Wells as opposed to 1%, they can charge them 5% or 8% or 12%. When the markets, when the money markets, which are supposed to be liquid, do that, you know, that's when we all start going crazy. That's when you start seeing doom porn headlines over on Zero Hedge. So in order to keep that from happening, what does the Fed do? Well, the Fed comes in and shores up the entire system, which is really what it's supposed to do. And pretty much all the Fed is supposed to do, but that's not what the Fed does, is to produce excess dollars in the short term in order to get people past their their, their funding mismatches. Um, well, when that becomes structural, and they have to constantly put money into the, the system. Not all of that money gets passed around to pay off of each other's payday loans. Some of it is there to try and stimulate growth. Well, what if the amount of growth that's possible? They can't. You can't stimulate growth that doesn't want that in, a, in an economy that isn't growing or doesn't have the capacity to grow. Right. So what are you doing? So we Austrian style economists like myself and Lou Rockwell, Murray Rothbard and others would say we're, you're pushing on a string. The Fed is putting money into a market and pushing on a string in order to try and make something go forward. And you can't because money, the money supply is not a rod. You don't push on a rod, you're pushing on a string. And so what happens is that money sloshes around on banks' balance sheets and nothing else to do. They can't lend it because no one wants to, no one wants to borrow it at the rates that they're willing to lend it in order to get a return on their money that's decent. So what do they do? They buy stocks with it. Yeah. I mean, that's all this money over the last, going back to, to 2008, the, so much of the rally in the stock markets that we've seen has just been excess money floating around, companies buying back their own stock, 
you know, issuing debt at low interest rates, corporate debt at low interest rates, slightly better than treasury yields, using that to then buy back their own stock and, you know, and dry up the supply of their stock and drive the price higher. They don't have anything else to do with the money or pay it out as dividends. And, you know, when you can borrow at one and a half percent on the market, if you're a blue chip or 5% of your junk bond company, if your company issuing junk bonds, like, yeah, I'm going to pay 5% to issue dividends in order to keep my stock price from falling so I can sell equity at the higher price and, you know, dilute my company on us. It's just very rational balance sheet manipulation. We, you know, that's what happens when you distort the prices the way the central bankers do. Um, when they're desperate to try and keep markets from doing what they naturally want to do, which is collapse in price to reflect the actual situation. Um, this is eventually going to lead to a complete breakdown of the global financial system. As a matter of fact, like we're in the process of it. And it's a slow kind of grinding process as the central bankers um, keep doing this in the hopes that they can they can keep going for as long as possible. But eventually they're going to change the game, the rules of the game completely. I think with the next crisis, we're going to see the next, we're going to see the next iteration of whatever, whatever it is they have installed for us. So. Yes. Uh, and ho hopefully, well, uh, hopefully it's not the great reset, although that seems to it be is. Uh, it, <laughs> inching in that direction, that direction yeah. of travel. So what have we got here? This is the lovely Janet Yellen, uh, <laughs> formerly, Formerly of the Fed, she's with the uh, the uh, the Suave. Uh, I believe that is that Mario Draghi. Yeah, that's Mario Draghi. That's um, God, I hate both so those what, people. What's she up to? She's now Treasury Secretary. She's a, Treasury, right? What? Why was she appointed to that position? Um, uh, and okay. B, uh, what are they colluding together doing here? Well, that's an old picture. That's that's when I pick. I, I, that's when I just pulled out when he was a, the chair, uh, the president of the ECB, and when she was chair of the. FOMC. So she was the head of the Fed. He was the head of the European Central Bank. Um, but where they are now, he's now prime minister of Italy, mm. right? And she's now the treasury secretary. So we have central bankers in charge of, of and we've got Christine Lagarde, the former head of the IMF, now in charge of the ECB. So, um, you know, what we have is uh, we have the central bankers all in place now to direct policy in such a way that I think they're going to move to a new monetary system completely because this one has failed. The debt-based one has failed. Matter of fact, I'm in the middle of writing a blog post now, which I, you know, to kind of reiterate what I write about all the time, um, saying that we've reached that point of what I've been calling this debt saturation for quite a long time now. When your money is based on debt, right? You got to issue a treasury bond to be able to issue dollars, right? That's how the dollars are created. It's how euros are created. It's how rubles are created. It's how every currency on this planet is created. Um, and then there's a market for that bond and that bond and the, and the, the, the interest rate that that bond trades at in the marketplace is a measure of financial health in a free market. We don't have free markets. The federal, all of the central banks are out there literally buying the debt that the, um, directly that's supposed to be sold into the marketplace for the money. We've had this this condition since 2007 when Ben Bernanke started quantitative easing. Okay. That's what quantitative easing is. It's another way of saying um, we issued script. I, we sold some 
treasury bonds to JP Morgan. JP Morgan doesn't want them on their balance sheet because they don't want 0.05% or whatever it is that they're, they're, so they sell it immediately to the Fed. So they sell it to JP Morgan who gets credited and then they sell it to the Fed who get, and they get the money. It's, it's just, it's just pure money printing without any, any mooring uh, it, relative to any labor that's supposed to be produced by the, uh, the debtor nation, right? So really that treasury bond is supposed to be a claim against the future value of the labor produced by the country that issued the debt. That's what it's supposed to represent. It doesn't represent that at all. It represents whatever it is that they can get away with. That game's ending. We don't have a, we're, we're now at a point where we're scared to death of the 10-year treasury bond of the United States rising to 2%. 2%. The historical average on the 10-year is something like 6%. We've been below that for 13 years now. So now what? Well, if we're scared to death at 2%, right? What does that mean? Well, it means that this, this system can't handle paying back the debt at a rate of greater than 2% without the entire uh, monetary system collapsing. Why? Because there's not enough profit being generated to pay off the interest on, on $28 trillion at 2%. To, to put it in kind of simplistic terms, it's not that simplistic, but let's just call it that simplistic for the sake of, you know, for, for argument's sake, for the sake of rhetoric, right? So that's where we are. Like we would have systemic cross-collateral cross chain collapses because no one would be able to pay because we can't afford 2% on 10-year debt. That's, that's crazy, right? Meanwhile, people are still paying 5% on their 30-year mortgages or, you know, <coughs> well, no, no, nobody's actually buying cars with, a, with any, any kind of interest rate on their, on their own other than the used car because the car companies are just inflating the prices and rolling the interest in, <laughs> into the loan up front and saying you're, they're giving you 0% financing. It's really sad. But the next thing that comes is where we just unmoor money completely from debt and labor. We just issue script. We're already there. Now they're just going to turn around and just issue it directly from central banks. And that's going to be what we call a digital dollar or digital euro, central bank digital currency. And that's what's coming because that's the only way they can make, they can stay in power. And it's a completely non-custodial asset. The Fed actually owns it and just lends it to you and just basically, you know, lets you have some for a little while. But if they ever want to take it away from you, all they got to do is yank it back, right? They can change the tax rate on it and yank it back. Oh no, you went to a Trump rally. They could take it back. You bought a. You want to buy a gun with that? No, sorry, you can't buy a gun with that. Um, I'm sorry. Did you, did you speak out against the government? No, you can't. You're not allowed to have any money. Like that's what people don't understand about this. I, I was trying to, you know, was talking with a good friend of mine the other day, uh, the other the other day over the weekend, why we had to postpone this interview till Friday because I was out of town. And I didn't have internet service in my house, and. Um, because interestingly, the rats outside had eaten through the phone cable. Uh, I come to find out, right? Um, I'm like, and then I yelled at my cat for not, you know, killing all the rats fast enough. <laughs> Dude, come on! I'm gonna I'm cutting you back to one meal a day. Go kill the rats. I, I have work to do. So <laughs> it's crazy. So freeloaders. 
Ah, uh, he's not much of a freeloader. He's actually really good. He does kill. He does kill a lot of mice. And then, and then the puppy comes by and he plays with the dead mouse. It's really hilarious. And then we don't take video and put it on YouTube where we could actually make money because we could. But <laughs> we could. <laughs> the uh, and we probably make more money than the Fed's making right now. But that being that, well, it's a, yet another industry that shouldn't exist because of Fed funny money. Um, the the point being is that we're moving towards a digital uh, a digital only currency world. But we're not choosing that. We're not choosing this. We didn't choose the bailout over Lehman Brothers. We didn't choose the bailout over GM. We didn't choose the bailout really last year, right? Where most of the money that was uh, doled out under the CARES Act didn't go to people. Most of it went to companies, corporations, and everybody else while we all sat there and, you know, hoarded toilet paper. So there was enough for about, what, $20,000 per head in the country? Yeah, I mean, they sent out some unbelievable amount of money. And what do we see? 600 bucks? Mm. Like, you know, a person, whoo, thanks. Don't spend all in one place. Today, that'll buy you a steak. Yeah. Um, so is what it is. But now they want complete control. Now that they screw, like every other government employee, when they screw something up, they want to get a raise. They want to get a promotion. Like, you know, there's only one way. There's the only government's the only place where you fail up. Well, let's get you out of that job where they actually do work. And let's put you into this administrative job where you can't do any work and can't screw anything up. Other just sign this. Yeah. You know, so turn if, we sane, if we had sane people right now managing the situation, what would be the first one or two moves that they should make to recalibrate or steady the ship as it were, or is it just beyond the pale? Now? It's, it's beyond repair. Okay. I mean, I, in 2008, they had a chance. In Y2K, they had a chance, right? Um, but today, the numbers are so big that and the debt levels are so high. That I, and I think that's been part of the plan. Run the debt levels up to the point where then they hand you a Hobson's choice between two terrible ideas, you know, between two terrible things. Well, you can either go to hell quickly or you can go to hell slowly. Your choice, mm -hmm. but you're going to hell. Like that's where we are. And that and and that and what's sad is that there are a lot of people in this industry whom I respect a lot for their analysis, for their opinions, for their understanding and their history. They they are deathly afraid of deflation, which is falling prices and and a contracting money supply. They understand that you you can't get around the the that the bust is as important as the boom, right? And what politicians and central bankers and everybody else, in order to maintain power, what they want to do is they, of course, want to tell you the good times will always be here, right? And as long as they can, you know, keep adding, keep spiking the monetary punch bowl, it's all good. But eventually, you know, the the the, the thing is all alcohol and no punch and it doesn't taste good and nobody wants it. <clears throat> so what do you do? You change the system. And... <clears throat> Central bank digital currencies are a means by which they can, they're going to try and increase their power because then they'll have complete surveillance control over all of your economic activity. I honestly think that the people at the, uh, who run the European Union, for example, and for most of our Congress believe that if they can get to 100% tax compliance, which they don't have because it's cash. So a hybrid cash financial economy doesn't have 100% tax compliance. It's 50, 60, 70%. If you're in a place like Italy, 30% of GDP is, you know, under the, is not measured, right? Yeah. So they thoroughly believe, and I think this is a complete delusion on their part, 
that they can get 100% tax compliance and therefore they can get 100% of the revenue that they think they're owed via the tax rate. And that's the reason why they keep failing. That's why they, the, 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 that's why they can never balance their books. That's what they say to themselves. The truth is, is that it has nothing to do with that. Hayek and Mises and even Keynes to a greater or lesser extent all talked about how this is just not possible. The government intervention into the marketplace is never the right answer. The right answer is to allow the malinvested capital to be liquidated, repriced, and those projects got no, done away with, those people going bankrupt, and then allow um, mm-hmm. and allow the capital to be deployed exactly where it needs to be. The illusion of prosperity needs to be ripped away, and uh, reality needs to assert itself. And I'm a big fan of the quote. I'm a big fan of Philip K. Dick, but I'm a huge fan of this quote, which is not one from his novels, but it's one that I remember him saying all, all the time. Ages ago, he said, reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. And the reality that the central banks are facing is that they've screwed everything up and they can't get away from that. And they're going to find out that the people do not want this. And they're pushing us towards a future we don't want. But because they think they have complete control over everything and they've got enough guns that they can push us into this brave new world of theirs. And I don't think that that's, I don't know that that's going to happen, but I know they're going to try. You know, it's like the old Ron White joke. Um, I didn't know how many people they were going to try. I didn't know how many it would take to throw me out of this bar, but I knew how many they were going to use. <laughs> right? So I know they're going to use all of their weapons, whether or not they're actually going to be able to throw us out of the bar or not. I have no idea. So I don't actually, and I would say that. I don't think they will, but well, there we go. So, so by orders of magnitude, this is much, much greater than uh, Bretton Woods, or this is oh, much yeah. greater than 1946. Yeah. This, this is a, this is not just about money, right? This is about control. This, yeah, it is engineering. About, yeah, it is about control. It's about social engineering. It's, it's always been about that, but this time it's it's an existential threat. Like they've always been able to morph the system into something different by diluting the money supply by taking us from. Uh, $20 an ounce uh, for an ounce of gold to $35 an ounce in 1933. And then we set that, uh, then we gave that standard to the world with Bretton Woods and then proceeded to print a whole bunch of money during Lyndon Johnson in the Vietnam War, which de Gaulle and the French you know, called our, our bluff on and broke down the Bretton Woods Agreement and therefore now created a free market for gold. Then they took then they took all gold backing completely away from the dollar. That's where we are now. What's the next one? And they just made it based on treasury debt. What's the next one? <clears throat> well, the next one is get rid of the debt and just just use taxes. And just and that's what modern money, modern monetary theory or MMT is all about. It's literally just, well, we're going to print a bunch of money and then we're going to regulate its value based on how much we collect in taxes. And if we need to collect more taxes and and uh, and, uh, and pull the economy back under control using inflation expectations, we'll just raise the tax rate. Mm-hmm. And if we want to stimulate the growth, we'll just lower the tax rate. Like, <clears throat> good luck with that. If you think that you can can take a complex, dynamic system like seven and a half billion people and all of their little economic decisions, and uh, excuse me, I have something in my throat. And reduce that to one number, <coughs> the, the inflation expectations of the dollar. 
of the it's insane it's truly insane and it's built on bad math it's built on misallocation of the scientific method it's built on all sorts of just methodological fundamental methodological errors in thinking and that's okay they don't care they have power so so this is meant to coincide with the an increase in people uh, who will be receiving universal basic income, for yes. example, or right. UBI, which is literally digital funny money, right? Uh, being paying you not to work essentially. Well, we've been paying uh, farmers not to farm since the New Deal. <laughs> so you know, let's so say, hey, you- why do why, why do they get preferential treatment? And they're all white guys. So I guess that must be white supremacy now. So from from a fourth industrial revolution point of view, a great reset point of view, a UBI point of view, isn't the tax base going to shrink or, you know, so this system, I don't know how it's. Well, no, because they'll call it sales tax. It'll all be, it'll all be, it'll all be point of sale taxes. It'll all be, we'll all get a, we're going to get a VAT here in the United States. And by the time they're done, right. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, we'll get a VAT. And an income tax, and that is tax. the ultimate. It's the ultimate shell game. The VAT. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I you know, I, I talk about in my. I live just north of Gainesville in Florida, and, and um, the uh, the the mixed Alachua County City of Gainesville government um, also owns a utility company. So when they when they were running for reelection, they lowered the millage rate on your property taxes, but then behind the scenes raised the. Um, the millage rate that they charge, the assessment that they charge for power from, um, from Gainesville Regional Utility. So, because they have a target number in mind for the budget, and they just decide how they're gonna how they're gonna you know. So they go back and forth. Like this election cycle, we're gonna lower your electric bills when it's hot outside, and then you know for the spring election, right? And then in the fall elections, well, we're gonna lower your property tax rates, and you know, and they just play this game. And they're commies. They like they're openly commie. Like, I stopped doing practical politics in this area years ago because it was it was like you know I don't have any time to you know try and um, drain the ocean with a sump pump. It's not happening. Like that's the way it works. So. But that's what we're fighting, and the the the. The question is, are there any, I think, are there any uh, ways around this? And uh, are there way, any ways to avoid this? Now, the main way to avoid this is in the name of my website. It's gold, right? Ultimately. Um, because you can't fake gold. It's a custodial asset. If you own it, if it's in your hand, you own it, and they can't counterfeit it, right? Its supply rises by a certain amount every year based on the market and its profitability to mine it and yada, yada, yada. And it's a way of preserving purchasing power through time, right? As long as you're going to be able to convert those gold coins or gold bars back into the currency that they're going to allow you to use. Mm-hmm. And that's is, the real danger. Is that a sticking making. point in the future? I think it is. I think it absolutely is. So, well, do you think that do you think that the Fed's going to allow you to buy Bitcoin with your digital dollars at Coinbase? Do you really think that that's going to happen? I don't. That's why I own both gold and Bitcoin. That's why I also advocate for you know different types of, of cryptocurrencies that can fulfill the market needs better than Bitcoin. Bitcoin's a great store of value. It's a terrible medium of exchange. Mm. It's just like gold. It's a terrible medium of exchange. I mean, how do you buy a candy bar with gold? Yeah, so uh, like uh, in terms of functionality, Ethereum and some of these other coins are much better in terms of right. clearing transactions and, and things like this. 
Well, they 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 are. Well, Ethereum is purpose built for something different. But let's look at a, a coin like Dash, right? Dash is a store value style Bitcoin style coin. Twenty one million coins will be mined. There, it's a proof of work style blockchain, similar, almost very similar to Bitcoin. I'm not sure if it's a fork of Bitcoin or not. Maybe um, I don't remember. But you know, it has a system in place, a governance system, and in 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 an internal network in place designed to make instantaneous transfer of money, any amount of money to move for a penny all around the world. Hmm. And you can either pay for, you can, you can pay to have it go fast or slow. You can have it, it be instantaneous above a certain number. You know, if it's above a certain number, it's instantaneous, or you can wait a little while, five, 10 minutes and have it go from here to Brazil. Like Dash is designed to be a medium, you know, it's, as a coin, it was designed to be a medium of exchange from my perspective. You know, I look at various altcoins and I only think of them in terms of their market function. I look at something like Monero, for example, it's got very good privacy, right? Um, where your uh, transactions are anonymized. Well, if that's important to you, then it is, right? Um, Bitcoin is not anonymous, it's pseudonymous. It's, you know, no one knows that that account number can be linked to you in any way. Well, then you can transfer money out of, in and out of that account. And, you know, relatively privately, but everybody can see the money flowing in and out of that account, whether they can trace it back to you or not is a different story. Monero, on the other hand, your account number goes in and your account number doesn't come back out and what comes spit back out on the other side for the public to see is something complete. It's a different account number completely, even though you got your money or you sent your money. Okay. Yeah. And the people involved in the transaction at the, at the, you know, both ends at the final, at the, at the opposite end of the transaction, at the end of the transaction, at the beginning of the transaction. They've been anonymized. Um, I think governance is going to be a real issue as well. But that gets a little farther down the line. When the attacks on crypto by the powers that be really step up and they start trying to hack the blockchains or they start trying to take them over, like China walks into all the freaking you know, mining farms, the Chinese government comes in and says, no, they, we're just nationalizing them all now. Like 60% of the Bitcoin mining, you know, the, 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 the power behind the Bitcoin blockchain is done in China, right? What if the Chinese government comes in tomorrow and says, no, we're nationalizing all the miners. Well, now China owns the Bitcoin blockchain, right? Mm -hmm. At least for now until, you know, things are spun up and, you know, until mining rigs are spun up in other areas of the world. I mean, it's an open market to get in there, right? So now what? Uh, I think governance will be a, a big deal. Uh, because, well, right now in Bitcoin and forever, the miners will be in charge of the governance. I think other coins have a better governance model than that, which, you know, we'll put it in the hands of the holders. And if, if we're talking about a younger coin that's off of the government's radar at this point, then you're looking at a coin that's going to be a lot harder for somebody to come in and buy up the chain in order to, you know, destroy it, or buying it up for the purpose of doing a, a hostile takeover of it, right? You know, like a bank capital thing where we come in and we buy this company, we, we beat it down, buy it up, and then destroy it. Right, solve the solve yeah. the That's what Mitt Romney has done his entire life. That bank capital model is possible, you know, for hundreds of billions of dollars now at this point. The Bitcoin, it's like it's a ridiculous amount of money. So now the bigger question is: Is Bitcoin now too big to fail? And I've written a lot about the subject recently, and a lot of the things that have happened recently is I don't know. I'm my personal opinion is I think we've already I think cryptos have already won. We just haven't, you know, it's it's still scary. But I think that if they could have beaten Bitcoin down and controlled it and used it, they wouldn't have let it get to a $1 trillion market cap. It's a $1 trillion problem now. 
That's not even talking about Ethereum or everybody else. You put the rest of it together, it's a $1.6 trillion market. Have you ever heard of a $1.6 trillion market being destroyed overnight? I haven't. Not easy, yeah. No, no. I mean, when it's that big, it's difficult because when it's that much money, the blowback effect on the real, on the quote-unquote real economy is immense. Mm. It's like arguing. It's like the people who, one of the arguments against Bitcoin is, oh, they can take down the, 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 the internet and then you don't have any money. I'm like, that's nice. You don't have any money now. Most of your dollars are digital. I mean, how many of us run around with cash in our wallet? You know, I mean, seriously, like, let's be honest about, you know, what you're, what you're talking about here. Their power is tethered to the internet. You take down the internet and they can't communicate. They can't even do their business. I mean, you think that you think Bitcoin is dependent upon the internet. You don't think the Federal Reserve is not dependent upon the internet. Yeah. And Visa I, let me introduce you to something called SWIFT, right? And then we'll, and then get back to me about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, well, the payment clearance system is uh, right. being completely bypassed. Right, um, everything would, would would collapse. I mean, the, we would our society would go through a uh, a contraction and a division of labor that would be the equivalent of nuclear war. Yeah, that's not an exaggeration. Mm. Uh, absolutely, it's not. So now you have to look at it this way: if they're going to beat Bitcoin, they got to beat Bitcoin on a relatively level playing field because it's the same playing field they're playing on. And I, I hate to break it to, to people, but TCP IP, which is the foundation protocol of the internet in which all the data, regardless of type, right? Well, no matter what your, what kind of information you're pushing on the internet, TCP IP and variations on TCP IP are the main ways that this is transacted. I get this way it moves. I get news for you. TCP IP is meant to seize blockages or outages as features, not bugs. Okay. Meaning it knows smartly how to reroute around an outage here or an outage. It was written competently. Like it's one of the few things governments ever done competently. It was, you know, to fund the production of TCP IP. So I, I know when people say, well, they can just shut down the, they can just shut down the network. I'm like, okay, Really, you've okay. So you've done how much IP routing in your life? Okay, why don't you shut up and let the grown-ups speak? Because this is nonsense. Um, it is. It's complete nonsense. Uh, so you can't denial of service attack the Bitcoin network. It's not possible. It's too decentralized. So, and even if you did today, what you talk, even if you took the hashing rate down by twenty percent, even if you DDoS twenty percent of the of the of the Bitcoin. So all that would do is incentivize somebody else to go buy some ant miners and, you know, spin up. It would lower the difficulty and make it more profitable for people to mine. So more miners would come online with different, you know, and then it would just spring up because it's profitable. The incentives are properly aligned. Therefore, it's almost, it's really difficult for those incentives to be, the, the incentive structure to be broken. So... So, now, so like, it's, okay, go ahead. it's trading today, uh, I think 40, 48,000 and a half, right? Uh, US dollars, uh, I think today Bitcoin's um, running at. So, so you've posted this here, uh, Bitcoin untethered. Now, this yes. is another vector of attack. Uh, yes. Christina Lagarde, all of the top central bankers are basically uh, rubbishing Bitcoin as being mm -hmm. dangerous because of, uh, you know, it's a speculative instrument and it's not. Right. 
it's not a story. You know, it's, they're trying to delegitimize it. Or what are they doing? And what's what's the the, te the what's, tether? And what's tether to, di didn't exactly go as people thought it might. Yeah, um, I, it was. I was. I was very surprised. I wasn't surprised when I saw what happened with the tether lawsuit. But let's let's back up for a second. Let's let's unpack a couple of things. Of course, Christine Lagarde has our best interests at heart. <laughs> let's not kid ourselves. Of course, she does. She's she's as pure as the driven snow, and and. Come on, like these people are some of the most rapacious and disgusting human beings on the planet. And then they have the they have the god awful gall to stand there and tell us, oh, but we're you know we're worried about your 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 well being and it's all it's all dangerous out there. I'm like no, it's dangerous to staying in your system where you guys control everything and are stealing two to three percent from me every time I like walk out the door. Like we live in Philip K. Dick's world where where you know our we're we're only one step away from Philip K. Dick's nightmare where the doors are gonna start asking for tips in order to get out of our apartment because they've put up so many damn toll booths for us to actually do any business. Like we're taxed on every level of our production. I'm just they're not trying to tax us for breathing, otherwise known as carbon taxes. So Bitcoin, um, so the Bitcoin market is one thing. Think of Bitcoin like gold. It's the it's the foundational asset for a new monetary system. And then on top of that, there's going to be, you know, other layers of money, right? There's going to be um, the altcoins, which have more liquidity because like Dash, they can move money around for a penny. And, you know, you've got other ones that um, that are not built on as a, as tight a proof of work style blockchain in order to pro provide liquidity. Then you've got something like Ethereum, which is producing a smart contract platform, which allows for people to tie up their... Um, their savings and draw yield off of by lending out to somebody else and bubble. And now we haven't, we're into that layer of the world, but then there's this other area of the crypto market. And that is this concept of a stable coin. And tether was the first stable coin that trades under the symbol USTD or USDT and USDT is US dollar tether or the company that's, that's it's just tether. And tether is a coin that, is supposed to trade on a one-for-one -one basis with the number of dollars held in the company's bank accounts. So they only issue new tethers when someone deposits a whole bunch of money by demanding tethers, right? And then someone to go to $5 million worth of tether is, is, uh, is demanded on the market. And when the, when the market is... Um, and and that, that money comes into them and that will push the price up. So what they do is they go out and they buy enough dollars to cover that and then push the price of Tether back to a dollar so that they maintain a one-to-one -one ratio between Tethers and uh, in circulation and dollars held in reserve. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Very few people I know in the crypto community actually think Tether has dollar for dollar in reserves. Matter of fact, this has been going on. They've been talking about this since Tether first showed up. and it, But Tether first showed up in the last rally here in 2017, because there was a perceived need to have to be able to trade against Bitcoin in dollar terms, but not leave the crypto markets. Okay. Because the governments were already moving to try and limit conversions from Bitcoin back to real dollars. Okay. Um, that was one of that. that if you want to talk, if there's one overriding policy imperative that the United States is engaged in with Bitcoin, it has been to cut off our avenues of escape or out of the, the system or cut off our ability to get into it. So all the on-ramps and off-ramps have been narrowed to a point where there's almost no 
ways of getting on, on onto the crypto system without going through anti-money laundering compliance, know, know your customer compliance and all the rest of it. So you can do it like everything else, but the government's going to know you did it. So it is what it is. It's not going to be, it's not in that respect. You can't get around that anymore. That's fine. It is what it is. The uh, tax implications and all this stuff are, you know, beyond the, the, the can of this, um, uh, this discussion today. See your financial advisor, do all that. And all this is informational stuff. Remember, I'm just some guy on the internet. Um, this is not investment advice. So what's important to understand is that stable coins are actual, are the actual threat to the global monetary system. Because what's the dollar? The dollar is a stable coin issued against US debt and the future value of the labor of the people who make up the United States economy. It's a stable coin. Just like the euro is a stable coin for the same reason against the, against Europe. And then and again, and they're, they're all stable coins. So issuing a stable coin versus Bitcoin that converts, but is, is, is set to the dollar is, is a way to have people un, um, be able to get into crypto and not experience, necessarily experience the volatility of crypto, right? We have a stable coin and not on, and then on the exchanges where we're exchanging, where, you know, where people are buying and trading cryptos all the time on places like Binance and Kraken and all these Coinbase and others. Um, the ability to trade, to sell Bitcoin, get into Tether, and then be able to get back in to Bitcoin when you want to, that's created the liquidity pool necessary to allow Bitcoin to really um, trade as a real market. Okay, because I traded Bitcoin when it wasn't a real market, when there was no liquidity. I've, I've done it. I did it years and years ago. I was on Mt. Gox 10 years, 11 years ago. Um, and um, so the point being that the we never really believed that Tether was anything other than a shady thing because it, this growth was an astronomical. It's just the sheer number of dollars they had to source and the amount of time they had to source it. I didn't even, even if... I'm not even laying any blame here or anything. Just the um, it showed up during the last major bull run when Bitcoin went from a thousand to twenty thousand, and they were having to you know come up with hundreds of millions of dollars a day. Now they're having to come up with billions of dollars a day, right? To in order to maintain their ratio. So the the state of New York you know took them to court, um, you know, alleging that. Tether had broken, had lied to everybody about their reserves. No shock to anybody. Eh, yeah, they probably they found some, they found some things. They didn't find nearly as much as they thought they were going to find, though. Letitia James, the, the the attorney general in New York, didn't find what she wanted to find. Because if she did, she would have found them a heck of a lot more than $18.5 million. Okay. For slap an 850. Yeah, it's a slap on the wrist. For an $850 million problem. And this the settlement out of court. We've heard these phrases before, no statement of wrongdoing and no further charges will be filed. Mm. And all they have to do is submit quarterly compliance numbers, you know, a, you know, a, a quarterly, you know, statement of, of transparency. Tether's like, okay, we can do that. So we can do exactly what the banks do every quarter. We can dress our balance sheet up at the end of the quarter and then hand, and then hand that into the SEC and go, yeah, see, we're, we're right. Whereas, you know, yesterday we were on the verge of, you know, bankruptcy, but we went to the Fed and we, you know, borrowed $50 billion off the repo window and dressed up our bank balance sheet and said, yep, here you go, we're good. And then the next week they turn right around and they sell that $50 billion back to the Fed. 
it's all night games. I watch this in the, I, I used, I, I still do. I, I chart the Fed's balance sheet every week, and you can see this happen at the end of every quarter. It's like, like clockwork. You can see this, like the banks go in in the last two weeks of the quarter, get all the money they need to shore up their capital adequacy ratios, and, and Heather's going to do the same thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, they'll probably be rerunning a fractional reserve thing for eleven out of every twelve weeks every quarter. Whatever. I don't really. I don't even. I don't even blame them for it at this point. Um. So. I'm more interested, though, what happens when we take the stablecoin market away from going back to dollars. Right. And it's being tethered to dollars at all. What happens when it's just tethered to another crypto? Yes. Right? What happens when it's tethered to some? What happens when you... And we're, we're seeing those come into the marketplace now. And what's happening is Bitcoin is showing a tremendous amount of resilience this quarter in, during this rally. During all of these huge uh, attacks on it, we had a massive attack last week. We had one a few weeks ago, one a few weeks before that. And every time, what should have been enough to take the market down 50, 60, 70%, took it down 25%. Yeah. And then it's kind of sat there for a couple of days and it popped back up again because people are accumulating, people are looking for places to put their money. It's a custodial asset. Whether you think it's real or not is not my problem. It's a custodial asset, no different than gold. You own the private keys to your Bitcoin. You own your Bitcoin. You own you own the gold coins in your you know you keep in your toilet in a in a plastic bag. They're your gold coins, right? Whatever you do, that by the way is not where I keep my gold coins. <laughs> um, just in case you're wondering. Um, so the it's a custodial asset and people are looking for something to hedge against this insanity about all the stuff that we talked about at the top of the show, which is they're printing money. Like it's going out of style. The monetary systems on the verge of complete collapse. It's being held together with spit and bailing wire. Uh, this really weird thing over here on the corner. It's been running for 12 years and everybody hates it. And yet somehow it keeps going up. I'm buying some of it. And once you get to that state, Right. Once you get to the point where, um, where people understand, people gain confidence in it that way, they'll start branching out and they'll start using the liquidity that exists in things like Tether and um, decentralized finance on Ethereum, where they can just say, "Well, you know, I'm not going to really worry about it. I'm just going to go park, take my Bitcoin off the exchange, and go wrap it and go go wrap it over here and lend it out to somebody else who, or whatever, and go pull a yield off of it." I go do some yield farming in, in, in a DeFi project. Yeah. And that's a big deal now. And so now we're talking about an entire separate monetary system. We're talking about, um, we're talking about coins and, or, you know, and, and ecosystems that are literally trying to replace the central banks using math as opposed to, as opposed to, you know, oligarchs to decide who gets the vig, right? It's democratized. Everybody gets the big and all depends on, you know, who, you know, certainly who got there first, but I mean, there's a certain amount of it that you can, you can get in there and you can do what you're going to, you can, you can get in there and you can be a part of the governance of the coin, the governance of the, of the, uh, of the, the, the entire ecosystem. You have ownership, you have responsibility, you have authenticity. And we don't have that today. We have competing narratives, hoping that they can outrun the tax man. And the tax man in this case is, you know, the deflation monster. 
And Bitcoin is actually forcing that to a resolution, I think, a hell of a lot faster than um, anybody ever expected, myself included. I'm, I'm shocked by all this. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I always said, you know, I can see Bitcoin at a quarter of a million dollars a coin. I'm just not sure I can see it, you know, in 2021, you know, I, in this year. Right. But it's possible. It's yeah. outside likely. 100,000 is not outside the realm of possibility this year as an overshoot for this this year. But, you know, if things get really crazy, Patrick, anything is possible right now. I remember John McAfee saying a couple of years ago that I will eat my you-know-what if, right. if it doesn't go to a million. Right. And uh, people thought, well, that's that was mad. He's crazy. No, um, he and now he's in jail. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me right. Don't get me wrong. I, I and don't get and and I don't. I'm not that. That was not meant to say that I. I'm trying to impugn John's honor or anything because I think he's he, John's a little. You know, John's a little crazy. You know, John is a little crazy, but you know, kind of in a good way. I, I don't. I don't consider that a. <laughs> I don't consider that a detriment. Um, yeah. He, well, he's um, a cra- in a rule breaker kind of way. Absolutely, in a rule breaker kind of way, and I think he's right. I think his timing models were off for the numbers that he was talking about. But, um, and of course, you know, going after him today, um, that's just, you know, I'm not shocked. They just keep every day, every time you see the, um, the, the oligarchs and the central banks make statements like that and go after somebody, you know, that they're scared. They make moves against guys like McAfee Mm -hmm. to scare normies to scare people from getting into Bitcoin. And it's what they do. And they're good at it. They got control of the media. They, they're, they're good at controlling narratives. But eventually, narratives fail. And um, and when they fail, they fail completely. And they're not resurrectable. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting summer because I think a lot of narratives that we've been living with for the last couple of years are all going to break apart, COVID being one of them. So... We'll just uh, run through a couple of uh, things here up at uh, sure. Gold, Gold Goats and Guns. That's your website. There's a link on the uh, description to this video to Tom's website as well. So Elon Musk and Bitcoin. It's like if just when you see things are stagnating, a, a move is made, an announcement right. is made. I'm accepting bitcoins for Tesla cars. Yep. And all of a sudden, it goes skyrockets it skyrockets it's it skyrocketed through at the time because you know i'm a chart guy too right so you know i do technical analysis for my patrons twice a week on on a what i call a, a bi-weekly market report and i do a lot of technical analysis and i do sometimes in, in my market weekly articles as well but it was very technically significant what he did because it when he made that statement it pushed through the at the time the high at 42,000 and pushed it above 42 to 46, which sent it all the way to six. Then over the course of the next two weeks up to 60, the, um, you know, and to me, and, I, and I've been writing like polemics at, at, at hard, at hard money people who are gold only bugs. Like they have, it can only be gold. There is no alternative to gold. I'm like, yeah, there is. Like I love gold. An, I hadn't changed the name. I haven't changed the name of the sites, the gold goats and Bitcoin, you know, or the Bitcoin, goats and guns, right? I like I didn't do that because there's a reason for this. Um, I believe in both asset classes, um, but I also believe in being diversified. Uh, if you're going to be taking a defensive posture, and I think that Bitcoin is a speculatively defensive asset, right? It's a speculation on higher prices, but it's also a defensive asset against 
the loss of confidence in the global monetary system because you're betting on an asset that is trying to reprice the world in terms of it as opposed to the world being priced in terms of dollars. It's right. a it's it's the fight. And so you're you're putting yourself on that side of the fight. Now, how much of of your wealth should you put in that side of the fight? Well, that's between you, your financial professional and your and your priest. I I, I can't tell you what those numbers should be. Um but you know, that's where you, that's, but that's what you're doing when you do that. And, and I run into the same psychological barriers with people who don't even want to buy gold mm -hmm. because buying a gold coin is, is that statement of going, I don't buy this system that they're selling me. And I found that every time I just take a gold coin and stuff it in somebody's hand, who's been like, who's been vacillating for years about it. And they hand, hand them a piece of gold and they go, Oh Yeah. Okay, I get it now. And then they like, so where do you buy your gold? I'm like, <laughs> and then I give them a link, and then we go from there. Um, there's something about it because we've had we've had such a long relationship with gold. There's an I think there's an epigenetic um, response to holding a gold coin in your hand for the first time. I know I did. I had a very strong physical reaction to it. Um, so it's similar to my, the first time I fell in love with a dog. Um, you know, and I did, that didn't happen for me until I was in my 30s, and uh, and I had my own. I had my dog, and I had my daughter. These are life-changing experiences. Um, we've had relationships with dogs and with gold for so long that I think that there's just something very primal. Um, and uh, I think but it's the, real. The difference between gold and silver, for instance, and Bitcoin mm -hmm. is the, the central banks and in big investment institutions like JP Morgan, they're artificially constantly holding positions on these commodities that's suppressing the, yes. the market price so you, so you don't have a real free market in, in relation between the global monetary system and then the precious metals no, right not not with the precious metal i think you're closer to a real market with bitcoin and that's what that's what's right. got them spooked is because it's it's telling you like it's capable of moving three four five hundred percent in no time flat and calling attention to itself and i think that that was done on purpose in the way bitcoin was designed to have the reward pool have every four years um, as a marketing ploy, right? I know it's a very it's a very effective tool. I think the having of the the miners reward pool is a very effective marketing tool. And you know, good on you for the guys who decided to do that because it was a it was, you know maybe nominally harder, but it was still harder to code that in than it was to just you know create a decaying um, a decaying uh, smoothly decaying inflation rate. Just simply, um, gold and silver are are. Um, asset classes that can be manipulated for two reasons. Well, let's, let's start with gold. Gold can be manipulated for one for one simple reason. There's a lot of gold out there, and guess who owns it all? The people who run the monetary system, the central right. banks, big. You know, I mean, I think these are the people who own most of the gold that's in existence. So they can lend it out to each other. They can, you know, they can you know, they can play games with it. They can play a shell game with it. They can. Hey, I know you're good for it, so I know you're not going to turn around and they can rehypothecate gold on on the Comex 200, 300 times, and no one cares because they're going to get settled in dollars anyway. They own all the gold. They don't own the Bitcoin. We own the Bitcoin. That's the thing. So they can't control that because they can't control the supply of it, and the supply of it isn't um, available. I mean, there's just very little Bitcoin actually being traded on the open market right now. Most of it's being held 
yeah. or it's lost. How much of the original Bitcoins were lost? Mm -hmm. So, and how many of them were lost? Now, silver is no longer a monetary metal. It's got a little bit of monetary character left, but it's trading much more in lockstep with iron ore, nickel, aluminum, lead, zinc, copper than it is with gold. Mm -hmm. It's got some monetary characteristics. When gold gets too expensive, people buy reflexively buy silver. But people aren't buying silver to store value. I mean, not really. I mean, some people are, but not not the majority of the silver price, silver that's being bought today. Most of the silver that's being bought today is going into your electronics. It's just got so many industrial uses, you know, and, you know, per Mises' regression theorem about how a commodity becomes money, it also says how a commodity ceases to become money, which is that when the industrial demands for a particular money outcompete its value as its, its, its role as money, it gets spent. Oil is a terrible currency because all of it's all of it that's pulled up out of the ground is consumed. People mm -hmm. don't store oil, you know, they use it. So it's got a um Safedina Moose, uh Dr. Safedina Moose has a great book called The Bitcoin Standard, which I think everybody who's interested in Bitcoin should read. Um and um he goes into a concept called stock to flow that will when you read it, it will make sense to you why Bitcoin is in a position has the potential to do what needs to be done to change this uh, global monetary system. And I'm dead serious when I say that. And the same way that gold has also has a very high stock to flow ratio because most of it is stock, but it doesn't really move around. There's a huge stockpile of gold, but very little of it actually moves around. And that makes it very easy to manipulate its price. I suppose silver, Silver stock to flow ratio is falling. No one stockpiles silver anymore for monetary purposes. We sold it all. The United States over the last 70 years sold the greatest hoard of silver ever seen by humanity. They sold it into the market. They don't need it. We don't need it. Okay, it's gone. The, the, that's what I mean by silver has very little monetary character. Don't get me wrong. I own silver. I like silver. I think silver is going to do very well, but I don't hold it as a monetary hedge. I hold it as a... I hold it as a hedge against 70 style stagflation, which is what we're going through right now, which is rising commodity inflation um, amidst um, asset price, asset prices wanting to deflate because asset prices want to deflate commodity and supply chains are breaking. Thanks to the, the thanks to all the COVID-19 lockdowns. I think all the commodities are doing very well. Base commodities like silver and lead and, and copper and the rest of them, soybeans, canola. I, I mean, all everything. Cocoa, feeder cows, gasoline, all of it, right? Lumber, timberland, all of it. It's all going crazy. And the reason is twofold. One, a lot of money chasing fewer numbers of goods, thanks to the Federal Reserve and the ECB and everybody else. And supply chains breaking down to turn raw materials into finished materials. Mm -hmm. uh, when I see something like U.S. Steel raise their tender price for cold rolled steel by 30% overnight, which is what they did recently about a month ago. That's not normal. It's a big deal. So, yeah. so, so crazy uh, world. Uh, on this, on this crypto front, mm -hmm. IPO Coinbase. Yeah. Just, is this a, is this a big deal or is this just an early entry type thing where those who get in on the ground floor, this is basically an exchange market. This is so like exchange. a NASDAQ type situation. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It's a, the Coinbase is a is a is a clearinghouse and and uh, Bitcoin clearinghouse. You can clear back and forth between dollars and Bitcoin and Ethereum and a few other coins that they trade. But they also have a, a live open market. It's one of the few places in the world that you trade Bitcoin versus dollars. You don't trade versus Tether. Mm. Okay, um, a lot of the other exchanges, smaller exchanges, you trade versus Tether. Um, Coinbase could wind up being the biggest IPO in U.S. market history. So. You want to tell me that Bitcoin's not real? The first Bitcoin <laughs> IPO hits the market at a valuation bigger than Facebook. Right. I, I I don't know what else to tell you, people. I don't know and how then, else to say it. And the potential for and then the capitalization is massive on this. So the scale. I think I think so. I mean, I don't know. I don't like Coinbase as a company. I'm not particularly crazy about them, right? Um, but that's not what's important. Right. My opinion on them as a company is irrelevant. I didn't like Facebook either and didn't buy the IPO. I was dumb, but you know, I don't everything I comes out of my mouth is correct. Um, and show me and show me anybody who will say that and mean it and has the track record, and you know, and you know, there'll be an empty chair next to me. So um, no, I just think this is very it's significant because Coinbase understands now is a good time to go to the market for this. And uh, it's also a, it's also at the valuation that they're that they're looking at, and they'll probably get biggest IPO in history. Now, is that a bubble, or is that um, sign of a, a, a step function change? Right. It's a good question. And then similarly, uh, we've also got this announcement: PayPal in talks. This is not confirmed yet, but it yeah. looks like it's in the works uh, to acquire a crypto storage firm called Curve. So right. that's. That what does that mean? What what signal is being sent? I, I, it, what it means is that 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 PayPal when you PayPal is opening up um, crypto wallets, right? You'll be able to buy and sell, you know, stuff through PayPal with crypto for the first time since, by the way, like 2011. Because when I was trading on Malcox, he first took PayPal. Right. When he first set the exchange up, like okay, and that lasted for about six months until PayPal put the kibosh on that. And for everybody, anybody in the audience who doesn't know the story already, I had my my original run of Bitcoins stolen off of Mt. Gox, not in the Mt. Gox implosion, but I had them stolen as when someone um, got, I, my, I got a key logger on my computer. They all got stolen. Um, but I used to trade them when they were five and a half cents on mm. Mt. Gox. Right. And I wouldn't pay 5.6 cents because, you know, <laughs> okay. Just wouldn't because idiot. So um, yeah, no, don't I, I do not own a, a private Island. No, but the uh, but I can tell you, I remember when he made the original post on the Bitcoin forums. Like, yeah, I'll throw this guy five bucks. Like, so I don't know that this is what, what's going on now. Is that PayPal? You will not ever be able to, from what I understand, you will not be own, have access to your keys if you have your crypto in PayPal. But PayPal has to be able to hold all the crypto that it represents somewhere. So it needs a storage firm. It yeah. needs a secure offsite firm. So whether it's this company or some other, it's just them getting prepared to really ramp up uh, and expect to see a lot of throughput and a lot of um and have a lot of liquidity for being able to move crypto around. That's what so, I say. So do you think this is good news for some of the other stable coins besides Bitcoin? Yeah, because the PayPal is not only taking um, Bitcoin, they're also taking Litecoin and a couple of others, which is the only reason Litecoin's trading above a hundred bucks. Because right. Litecoin should have actually already imploded if it wasn't for PayPal. 
actually i would think i would thought I, I i got very bearish i've gotten very bearish on litecoin for a variety of reasons um not again not that i want to get into that now this is you know this is for for a different discussion happy to have that discussion just not today um but yeah i think it's a it's a good sign for everything because you'll see what will happen over time is that paypal will just keep adding to its offering list because you know why not it doesn't cost them really anything to manage the wallets especially if they have a company that'll do it for them so um it's not that hard because i mean the security is already built in so yeah so for liquidity it's a big deal um you know anytime you have it is sort of it's, i think it's a big deal it's, it's, it's just telling you that, that paypal is serious it's just telling you that paypal is serious about this yeah. so and then right? lastly uh i we're we're gonna wrap it up i know mm -hmm. we're over time here but i just want to get your take on mem stocks sure. because this is a hot topic that everybody's a oh. lot of new investors have sure. come in to robin hood and after before and after the GameStop uh situation here ipo for, as well on the books for uh for robin hood as well so they're looking to go public um you know what was your take on GameStop? how significant was that event or is this just a case of the hedge funds are going to realign and close up that gap in the market themselves and deploy their own trolls on reddit or you know i, I think it's a mix of all of that um there was a very real contingent of people who were just really angry with the last 13 years right the same animus the same spirit that animated op occupy wall street animated GameStop. now whether these guys were manipulated and they all lost their money and blah blah blah, blah is, is irrelevant what's important i think to understand is that the guys who actually organized that i think there's i think some of them are very committed you know i think some of them are, are very committed kind of anti-establishment figures i also think that they're fighting a you know they're also fighting against mike tyson and you know I don't know about getting in the ring with, I don't know about you, but I'm not getting in the ring with Mike Tyson. I mean, I've got training and I, all I know is I'm going to die. Right. As a, so it's, it's a very complicated thing from that perspective, but I want, I want you to understand what I want you to take away from this is that what they proved is proof of concept, which is we did it once and we bloodied a lot of people's noses. And these markets are completely and utterly cocked up thanks to the Fed and the way all this money printing has distorted risk profiles and uh, and uh, option chains and the liquidity of the market. That means that there are other targets. Mm -hmm. And it won't take a lot of money to move some other stock and do the same thing again. And they can keep doing it. And it's like, you know, you can destroy the confidence in the institutions, not all at once, but with a death of a thousand cuts. So a GameStop today, an AMC Theaters tomorrow, uh, you know, uh, whatever. The, there's one happening right now. Um, they went for silver, which was dumb, but, you know, they also did create an awful lot of open interest on the COMEX. So March delivery on the COMEX is going to be really interesting at the end of the month. So, you know, the whole silver short squeeze story may not be over yet. I, I don't know. You know, we'll watch it and we'll see how it plays itself out. But what I can tell you is that once these guys get capitalized, they can do it again. The same way that the Bitcoin market got capitalized in 2017. And while a lot of, you know, latecomers to the party, a lot of retail people lost a lot of money at buying in, in the mania, you know, above $10,000 in Bitcoin in 2017. A lot of guys made hundreds of millions of dollars. And a lot of those guys today now have four-year-old crypto projects 
that are fundamentally better code than Bitcoin is. Right. And they were in this in the first place because they were, you know, anti-establishment types. And they got capitalized at a level that they didn't need. And now they have tons of money. They don't know what to do with it. Well, I know what they know. Now, some of them are going to, you know, roll it into the next scam or they're going to do this or whatever. Some of them are just going to build better projects. Right. And while 90% of the big, the, the 90 or 95% of the crypto projects that are out there are garbage, the 5% that aren't have the possibility of changing the world in the same way that the internet stocks of the mid 1990s, 95% of them were garbage as well. But the 5% of them that weren't changed the world. Right. Yeah, and there's also the infrastructure of the blockchain of cryptocurrencies. There's a lot of uh, advancements on chip technology. Lots so much coming. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much coming, and I can't even keep up with it all. Yeah. So I I mean, we could do another hour just on what I think is coming. I did a a live stream recently with a a developer who's in a DeFi space, and we just went, we went hog wild on, on the theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the, the 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 monetary theory, the social political you know implications of all this stuff, where this winds up, and it's a very, it's both scary and exciting as all get out, all at the same time. And I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, but there's a better than there's a better chance today of you know the Mario Drahis and the Janet Yellens taking their best shot and finding out that they got nothing than I ever thought. We were going to get to, but what, what I think was interesting about this Robin Hood uh, development as well is it it drew a lot of people in now that are interested in right. investing, saving, which yes. has been an anathema for so many yeah. years. And these two stops, GameStop and AMC, as an example, the thing that the press did not talk much about is that both of those were devastated by lockdowns. Okay. Yeah. And so in a way, I don't know if this was intentional or is this the magic of the market uh, where people were moving to to save effectively these brick and mortar businesses that yeah. government killed. Yes. Uh, in the lockdown. It's, it's a it's a it's a nice it's a nice story symbolic symbolically, isn't it? It really yeah. is. It's, good, it's, a good, it's a good point, after it really is. So so I thought that was an interesting part of this, which that, that's another power of this. Uh, mm-hmm. Independent investors couldn't get together and, you know. That's the power of independent media as well and the ability for people to self-organize. And Bitcoin itself is a, is a, is a lesson in self-organization. It doesn't matter whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it. It's, it's irrelevant. Whether you think it's, you know, some NSA project or whatever. And I, I've heard, heard every freaking story you can imagine. You don't understand. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that it's proving to you tomorrow you can get off your you can stop complaining you can go change the world there's code you don't think bitcoin's code is any good fine build a better coin mm. that the nsa can't crack you know like i mean do do it no one's no one's stopping you and now you've got guys out there with billions of dollars willing to go yeah sounds like a great idea here's 200 grand go build your go build the chain get me a genesis block you know give me some code Let's do this. Like, you know, it, it's possible. It, and and when you create a complex system like the global financial network, which is horribly wasteful in every way and horribly inefficient, when you take into account all of the energy that it uses in order to run it, sustain itself, it's five times, hundred times, ten times bigger than the energy that Bitcoin uses. 
Bitcoin, you just point to and go, oh, that's where it all is. But that's literally all of it. And that's nothing compared to, you know, the class A off the space and, you know, the massive computers that run, you know, the, the, the high frequency trading desks at Goldman and the this and that and the underground wires and the and the people that are that have to push the paper and the air conditioning and of the buildings for the people have to manage all this freaking paper and ah, that all all part of the cost. Mm. We can get rid of all those people and have them stop stealing from us. Like, and you're arguing that it's not real. Mm. What's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> you want to get rid of Jenny Ellen? I want to get rid of Jenny Ellen. Your safest path to victory is Bitcoin or some derivative, Bitcoin metaphorically. So I always like to talk in metaphor when I talk about Bitcoin. It's crypto. Crypto has the ability to change the world and for the better. Well, we're going to, uh, we'll leave it on that amazingly positive note, uh, Tom. Oh, I am. Luongo. And just before we go, uh, give give everybody a shout out. I know you do some uh, great analysis um, on these types of subjects. Uh, and they can find this over at uh, your website? Yeah, my website's tomluongo.me uh, or just search Gold Goats and Guns or just search me, you'll find me. I'm not hard to find. Um, I publish, like I try to publish about three times a week on the blog. I also, I do a podcast, uh, which you can find on Apple Podcasts or Spreaker or, or anywhere else. Uh, Patrick's a regular. So, you know, if you guys like him, then, you know, we'll we'll do this when he's the talent and not me. Um, and uh, I also publish for Newsmax as well. I write for them. Um, a financial newsletter is what, but my, uh, my website is tied to a Patreon. Uh, like everybody else, I have a Patreon, but for my Patreon, I put out a monthly investment newsletter with a portfolio strategy and exclusive content, um, which is designed to create a, um, a portfolio strategy to make sense of how to play this. And it's a mixture of, you know, commodities and cryptos and whatever else, hits my fancy, but it's all tied into the metaphor of gold, goats, and guns. And it's all tied into the idea of being your own central bank and being in charge of your own destiny. Um, and then we do that and we do twice weekly, uh, private podcasts, video podcasts as well. So. No, yeah. There you go. I highly recommended. Uh, and you got a taste of, um, Tom's, uh, knowledge and, uh, proclivities in the market and talking about money, crypto, these are all emerging, uh, parallel systems that are very real and there are a lot of people look it's changed their life it's transformed uh, a lot of people's lives uh, mm -hmm. in a way that mm, i can't imagine anything in history recently that has done that um, to this degree so it is uh, tremendous in that sense so um, but yeah we look forward to hopefully we'll talk to you uh, again uh, tom as well and I'll, I'll see you on your show as well or we'll we'll talk again here so there's probably gonna be some big events happening in this area probably in the next few months i'm just guessing um so we'll see if uh, we can ride this one out but uh, thank you very much for joining us again tom no problem patrick was happy to do it you'd be tom good luongo ladies and gentlemen there he goes gold goats and guns sometimes i get that mixed up but um we didn't talk about the goats when we will talk about the goats next time uh with tom on this program but listen uh take care everybody and uh we'll see you we might have a other live broadcast tomorrow um or sunday uh on this platform uh 21 wire live so hopefully we'll see you there and uh, also go to 21stcenturywire.com for more news views and analysis on this and many other topics as well. We're, we've got a few uh, COVID 
and uh, PCR stories that are going to come out this weekend that I'm sure are going to raise a few eyebrows uh, as well. So do check us out there. We'll see you on Twitter, Facebook uh, as well uh, on social media. And we are going to be launching uh, a new channel on Telegram, uh, I think, this week. So we're looking forward to that and have some uh, interesting stuff that we'll be offering in terms of content on that platform as well. So take care, everybody, and uh, hopefully we shall see you next time. All the best.